Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dominique. We both work for Starting Right Now, also known as SRN. A lot of times, homeless youth are spoken for. Often, people assume what homeless youth would need, and I want homeless youth to be able to speak for themselves. We're getting ready to blow up the best kept secret, beautiful unaccompanied youth. On this episode of Raising Me, we're talking with Olivia. Survival sex work is something that people have to do a lot because they don't have anything to exchange for something that they need. So when you have nothing, what are you left with? It may have hurt, but it made me who I am today. Now through trials and tribulations, I still celebrate. Cause I'm starting right now. I'm starting right now. No one speaks for Miss Olivia. <laughs> She has always, from the day I met her, spoken for herself. I agree. <laughs> Do you know when you entered Starting Right Now? Do you remember the, what year it was? So I joined Starting Right Now in January 2015, a few months before I graduated, um, but in that short time, it was really great. Do you remember who referred you to Starting Right Now? It was a social worker at my school. She was so nice. Mm -hmm. Did you tell your counselors what was going on with you, or were they just like, oh, you said you don't have a place to live? Um, they were heavily involved because my situation had a lot of, um, there was some like injunctions that were starting to happen that were trying to be placed. So there was like, like the deputy needed to be involved and stuff like that so that people wouldn't come to the school. So everybody kind of knew a little bit of what was going on, but not like the entire story. Mm -hmm. So I joined Starting Right Now because um, I had some abuse in my family, um, sexual, um, mental, emotional, physical, like you name it, it was happening. Um, happened forever since I was a little baby, like forever. Uh, Child Protective Services got involved in my case and um, there wasn't enough evidence to press charges in the way that I was hoping. Um, it was a really confusing time. I was 16 when it happened. So the abuse in my family happened by the same person throughout that we know of three different daughters, um, possibly a son, but only one was like willing to like be involved as much as she could. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> so the thing that is sticking out to me about what you're describing is that you are, you're saying, you're accusing someone in your family of abusing you for a long time. Child Protective Services does get involved, and yet there's this like gray area where you're, you were not removed from the home. My family member got away with, with it. Um, fuck. It's <laughs> okay. It's okay. I mean, everyone that has been here has been emotional. Because oh, good. It's, okay. What are you kidding? <laughs> it's very it's emotional. Okay. And, and regardless, what everyone else is doing, you feel how you feel. Mm -hmm. I know. I just hate it. <laughs> um. Okay. You can take a minute. Take your time. Um, so the reason CPS um, dropped my case was because of a little, like, um, a little fluke. So legally, because there was no physical evidence, you know, that's one of the big, the big issues that, that are, is in the system. A big issue in the system is that you cannot track, you know, how hard an emotional hit hits someone, mm -hmm. a mental hit hits someone. Um, 
you know, unless you're out there doing a rape kit, nobody's going to believe you is what it comes down to it is what I found. Or even if they do believe you, because I had some sympathetic people, like you have a lot of issues proving things when you're a child. Mm -hmm. Um, My case went up to the district attorney, um, actually, but she told me the district attorney was very straight when she said that I do not have enough evidence to pursue this case because it was he said she said Mm -hmm. you know and my family member is like an established person in society and I'm a child and their lawyer tore me to shreds Mm -hmm. you know and whether it's true or not if someone's family member who's older who's established if they say my child or or you know whoever if they say that that child is promiscuous that child has issues that child is a liar that they want attention which are all signs of abuse either way. Um, well, just so you know, you're sitting okay. here telling your story very clearly, yes. albeit emotionally, which makes sense. And I'm sitting here thinking how strong you are. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, they like totally tore my whole reputation apart. Um, this 16 year old kid. I know that just sounds so silly that you have a reputation to uphold as a 16 year old. Mm. Like, it's ridiculous, no. you know? If, if you do something, who whose business is it to say that you are not acting correctly? And, and a lot of times it could be a cry for help. Like well, you're you confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in your, is that what you're saying it was in your case? In my case, um, in my case, I had the signs of a sexually abused child. I was promiscuous. I was angry all the time mm-hmm. at everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dominique. <laughs> May we never forget. <laughs> Yeah. So, Uh, I mean, someone, I just want to make sure that we talk about this entirely because someone listening, I mean, there are people who are like, well, there are children who accuse people of doing things that are not true. Right. Which is not to say that I don't believe you. Right. I believe you. Um, But we should address that that is a reality that people think that. Right. Sure. Oh, what do you, why do you (laughs) say it like, why do you respond that way? Um, I just take a different perspective. I have a hard time, unless the child has been manipulated by maybe another trusted adult in their life, I have a hard time comprehending that a child would make up such vivid stories. But I'm sure people think that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But then in the case where um, a child is accusing of doing something inappropriate Mm -hmm. and CPS intervenes, there's no evidence, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, although that's relative. they feel like they're no longer guilty. And then, I mean... It's so what traumatizing does in that too. It's so traumatizing because when I went there for the, the the child protective service interview, they had me stand up against a wall and they took pictures of me, like for the case. It's like, like humiliating. Your own show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a mm-hmm. horse, like a specimen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my family relative was about mm-hmm. to buy me a brand new car, and here I am, talking out against them finally. You know, and not only am I saying this is happening from a family member, but I'm also backed up by um, my sister, you know, and it's like um, in in her report that she sent to the Child Protective Services, because she wrote a report, um, she wrote a report one night after I told her, hey, my family member walked in on me in the shower again, this is ridiculous, I'm 16, this is not appropriate. And so that night she decided to, um, due to her career, that she needed to write this report, because at that point, she could also get into trouble if she knew about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wrote this report, and 
when she wrote about her things in it, um, it was severe enough that the investigators came out the next day. For them to determine that my case was dire enough to remove me the very next day, and then for the case to be looked at, and then forgotten about. I felt swept under the rug. So so it went from dire, we need to remove her today, mm. like she's in immediate danger, to being like, oh, well, you know, you can go back if you want. The case is closed. We decided that the the evidence isn't sufficient enough, your abuse isn't severe enough, you know, you'll be fine. Well, the other thing about what you're describing is that what it does is it encourages you to not speak up. You did Think. speak out despite the circumstances, Correct. which is hard to do enough. And then the you whole spectacle happens, as you're describing. Under a microscope. And then it's like, no, we didn't find anything that's worthy of validating your case mm -hmm. or right. your opinion, which just encourages you to not speak up. Right. And it was incredibly scary. I mean, like, I didn't even, I didn't anticipate that happening. So I was catapulted into this crazy situation that I did not know was happening. My sister did not even tell me she was writing a report. You know, it. My so it took off overnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, it was New Year's Eve when it happened. And by New Year's Day, I was out with my friends. And by New Year's Day, I woke up, um, I woke up and my whole life had changed. Mm. And from that minute on, your world is, is changed. Like, mm -hmm. it's a whole new thing. Like, and I had no, I had no say in it because I, I didn't know that report was being made. And then every point from that, from then on is it's so hard for me and then and that you person undo that. you can't undo it mm -hmm. you can't undo what happens and mm -hmm. you can look back and you can say hey i wish something was different but you can't change it you end up staying with this relative it doesn't work out and then where do you go right so when this case is being processed um there's about a three-month period where i'm severely depressed mm -hmm. um i don't get out of bed all i do is is go to school come home um and for my relative, this was, or for my sister who I, I lived with, this was perfect for her. You know, a docile child who follows rules, who is nothing but obedient and, you know, doesn't cause any issues. Mm -hmm. um, so three months, I was severely depressed. The school counselor told me I was going through. Um, so, so during that period, it was like, uh, it was like my family had died. They, mm -hmm. were, they said I was going through a mourning period because the people that I thought they were, were completely different. You know, the people they had been to me were no longer. Mm -hmm. So I was mourning my entire family mm -hmm. for three months. And after three months, I was like, okay, I have to get back to being a, like a normal person. Like I have to participate in life. Like I can't just sit here and be so sad all the time. Like it happened and I can't change that. So mm -hmm. I might as well make my life better. Um, so after that, I, I mean, um, after the three months of depression, I spiraled severely downward. I, you know, my sister didn't live in the best area. I got in with friends that were in the best. They skipped school. I didn't, I never skipped school. I think I missed, I missed school, uh, for two days when I had severe bronchitis, um, and the flu. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was from sleeping outside in winter. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, n I never missed school, but I Why was... Why was that? Like, even despite all the chaos, you were like, I'm going to school. Everybody thought I would fail. They thought I was stupid. Mm. They thought I was like... But you were in the IB program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did everyone think you were going to fail? Who is, who is everyone? So I never liked IB. Like, I could do it. I just didn't like it. I never mm. fit in with those kids. Um, Can I just say real quick that... So IB is the International Baccalaureate Program. It's basically a pre-collegiate 
high school program. Right. Students that are in it are already like preparing for college. Right. Super rigorous, like um, worldwide curriculum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, from that, I was really used to staying up late. I was used to high stress situations. Um, Yeah. And so who was, who's thinking you're going to fail? Who is that? When my case is being processed, my family members decided that, you know, if I didn't want to stay at home and I didn't want to do this and follow the rules and all, all of, you know, everything that came with that, they mm-hmm. were like, good luck with your life. You're going to be nothing. You're going to be no one. Mm. You know, they, that was part of the abuse that I faced is that, you know, I was a piece of property and I was nothing without them. Mm-hmm. Every, every obstacle that they had me face and every, every goal that they set for me, I made with flying colors, but it was never enough, mm-hmm. which was part of, of the abuse. So I was never enough. Mm-hmm. But that's very interesting because you're saying that um, because people were doubting you, that gave you fuel to commit even more. Yeah, like who wants to be thought of as like an idiot? Like that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of in a lot of situations, people believe what people tell them. To be um, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. people are like, "You're going to be nothing," people are. There are plenty of people that would have been like, "You're right. I shouldn't even try." I knew I was special. I love that. <laughs> I love that. You have no idea how much I love that. I love that she said this with a big smile on her face. I always knew I was special. You have no idea how much I love that. I mean, how though? My. Um, I was. I never fit in. I was always different. I always, you know, I always stu- stood up for everyone else. Um, you know, just because one way was the way to do it. If I could find a better way to do it, I would. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always finding creative solutions to tough problems. Um, Sometimes the things that happen in society aren't the way that they should be. And I recognize that from when I was a child. So I would always, you know, assess a situation and figure out the way I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And if that was not the way that everybody else did, you know, that, was, that wasn't my problem. That's how I thought about it. So I always knew I was different. And, and the way I, I acted and the way I solved issues, it was, it was personal and special to me. I was not made to fit in. Mm-hmm. And so when all of this is going on, is it hard to get to school? Um, yeah, so getting to school was really difficult. Um, I mean, where were you staying? Yeah. Because so, you leave your sisters. Yeah, so um, my sister who helped me get out of the situation that I was in after the three months mourning period, mm-hmm. she decided I was too much of a headache. Um, so she kicked me out. She said, I don't care where you go. You could go back to your family members for all I care about. Mm-hmm. She was like, I will drop you off on whoever's doorstep, but you're out. So I was like, I was like, well, screw you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do this all by myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need you guys. And so um, I called up all of my friends and I was like, who, who can I crash with? You know, but one thing that I told all of my friends is because I never wanted anyone to get in trouble. And my family members are so spiteful. I was like, I am underage. I'm mm-hmm. under 18. I am classified legally as a runaway. Mm-hmm. So because my, my family members would not sign over my legal rights to me or to anyone else, I was classified as a runaway. So anyone who housed me, they were at risk for being charged with stowing a runaway. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of the time they don't charge runaways with being a runaway. But if you house one, you can catch major charges. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to do that. And like I had to, you know, I said disclaimer because I would never want to jeopardize someone else mm-hmm. for me. Like I've always been like that. So it was really hard couch hopping and finding places, but I would find friends um, and stay with them. The turnover was usually a couple weeks, a month. The longest was like three months. Um, I had one friend where I left because I was re-victimized. 
one of their family members actually came on to me when nobody was home. Mm. Um, and I said to myself, why am I going to put myself in this situation when this was what I wanted to escape? You know, I would rather leave than, than you know, work with that. Right. I think an important thing, an important thing to point out as you say that is that what happens in a lot of these situations is that the students are already vulnerable. They're displaced. I mean, you and the other starting right now students are displaced from their homes and put in vulnerable situations. And so it kind of it keeps perpetuating mm-hmm. without right. an intervention. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost like people can smell it. I I feel like like you you're asking for help and you don't tell anyone why, but it's almost like predators can can smell you. They're like, oh well, this person has been a victim before. Why not be my victim? Mm-hmm. The, you know, they don't matter. Nobody sees them. Nobody cares. And, and they'll test you to see if you do anything. In my case, I did. I wasn't going to put up with that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. And so where do you go from there? After my sisters, I actually stayed with a boyfriend for a month um, who was also couch hopping, but he was couch hopping his family members. Um, but he was dealing drugs while I was with him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did while I was going through this was I searched out for people with power. I wanted protectors, whether mm-hmm. it was for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, and so I knew that nobody was going to mess with him, mm-hmm. so I dated him for this purpose. That lasted a month. I couch topped to my friend where her family member tried to re-victimize me. I couch hopped again until finally landing with my last friend, who, who was the last stop before SRN. And all the while, you're still going to school. Right. I don't well, miss one day. I, I <laughs> think I remember you were, like, working crazy hours. So I had a friend who worked, and uh, I would I would split her job with her, and she was on minimum wage, so I would make half of whatever minimum wage was back in 2015. You know, mm-hmm. Or no, it was, like, 2014. Um, so I was making four bucks an hour, you know, and, and doing that. And then also I was partnering with my boyfriend, and we would – deal drugs like Mm -hmm. that was our thing like you know we would ride around and we would scam kids and you know and whatever made money made money he would he would steal and then we would sell it Mm -hmm. you know I never stole that was one thing that I you know it's really hard when you're when you're put into difficult situations is is having to readjust your moral compass over and over Mm. um but one thing that I have never done is, is steal. That's, you know, but in my mind, if my boyfriend did it and, and we brought it to the pawn shop, that was him stealing it. It wasn't me stealing it. Like, at least we got to eat. At this time, I, I ate one, $1 cheeseburger. No, well, they were 69-cent cheeseburgers from McDonald's at this, t- at this time. Um, that's what I ate, one a day. I think what you're saying is really important because the thing is that these are not decisions you want to make. No. no. I love that you called it adjusting your moral yeah, compass. That is so you do. well that spoken. I love thinking about it later is you readjusting your moral compass again to align with your values. Right. We skipped a lot of information that should probably be in this. Well, say it. What did we not talk about that you that needs to be added? Um, I think it's important to touch on some of the things that these kids have to do um, that I've had to do in particular because I think it's something that a lot of adults don't think about. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't think about it um, because they don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so survival sex work is something that people have to do a lot because um, they don't have anything to exchange for something that they need. Um, so when you have nothing, what are you left with? That is a very mm-hmm. insightful way of putting it because <laughs> I... 
know that obviously but it, yeah genuinely that has never occurred to me it's like if you you don't have anything else you have nothing you have no money you have no items you have no personal property you don't have any bank accounts you can't have a bank account because you're underage mm -hmm. what what do you have to give people and what do people want from you and something that's a really big issue um in the in the world in general is is you know sex with children um now whether that's children having sex with children or it's adults having sex with children um you know it it really is it depends on where you are and who you're around um in my case i um engaged in sexual relationships with people who were closer to my age mm -hmm. um because i knew them better you know and i was still very traumatized from getting out of my family members control in the mm -hmm. house and all of that so for me at that point in my life it was very acceptable you know when my moral compass was redrawn again yet again mm -hmm. um to use boys who are my age you know like my boyfriend just to just to use them for things like housing and and things like that if i needed a ride anywhere if i could manipulate a whole group of guys who liked me and take on the whole friend group and manipulate them and make them all like me and then use them all for different things and say, hey, your friend did this for me. What can you do for me? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I need all of that. And mm -hmm. if I can't get it from one person, then I have to figure out how to get it from everyone. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this previously. You just mentioned it now again, is that it, given the circumstances, you had to adjust your moral compass. Is right. that something you want to talk about more with regard to this? Right. So... So adjusting your moral compass to me means that, um, you know, some of the standards and, and right and wrongs that society tells you are not always what you can uphold. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when it comes to being hungry or, or doing something that you think is bad, is it really that bad anymore? Um, yeah. I mean, that all goes that out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is that, well, some of these kids aren't bad because they want to be. It's because they have to be. I, I would say all of them. And That's nobody can tell the difference. Yeah. And they may, they may be angry and they may put up walls and be like, you know, I'm, I'm bad. Like, I'm hardcore. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these kids are so scared underneath. Rightfully so. Yeah. Anybody would be scared in that circumstance. Yeah. And you said that you don't think people realize. Well, first of all, I want to ask you this. Did, did people know that was going on? No, nobody knew that was going on. Um you know, it's it's nothing for a girl who seems like she for I didn't fit into IB. I never fit into that. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people wrote me off as as quiet, as mean, as, you know, someone who didn't participate when in reality, you know, the nights were circling in my head while I went through my day. Mm -hmm. You know? Like it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to process. Um, you know, everything seems really menial and, and and dumb when you have to make these big decisions when you're a child mm -hmm. right. that's what I was a child and then everybody was calling me a child but I was like I'm not a child because I had to make these adult decisions Correct. so I was stuck between it's like the swinging pendulum between am I an, an adult or am I a kid mm -hmm. and then the law says you're a kid until you're 18 well I'm doing all these adult things you know and and going into school and stuff like that like you know I was trying you know in school, you have all these, this paperwork and all this stuff that your parents have to sign. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just like, well, my, my school knew that my, uh, my family members 
who who could have signed paperwork weren't in the picture. So it's not like I could forge their names. Mm-hmm. So I, when I went to talk to them about, hey, I have all this stuff, the, these mandatory field trips, you know, blah, 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 that I have to get signed for, I was like, who signs for them? Uh, and And in my world, that was me, but that wasn't acceptable legally to them. And it's like, how do you... How do you categorize a child that's making their own adult decisions, but legally they can't? They're not allowed to. So your explanation, which was really well put and enlightening for me, is that young children don't have any other resource to exchange. So mm-hmm. when you're homeless and need a place to survival, the only thing you have to exchange is sex. Yeah, it's very easy to see survival sex work as an option. Um, and one thing that is really scary for kids who have to go through that is that, you know, um, it is also considered prostitution. So you also have to worry about being charged if you get caught for doing that, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in a circumstance that would be categorized as that. Um, and then and then what happens? You're picked up for prostitution when you're just trying to get money for food. Or a yes. place to sleep. Yeah, or a place to mm-hmm. sleep. In my, in my case, it was usually a place to sleep or, or a ride somewhere. Um, so, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes I would... Um, like when it was really bad, um, I would pull on all the car doors and see which car would open and sleep there. Mm. I'm sorry. It's okay. That's how I got really bad bronchitis and I my like rib got messed up because mm-hmm. I was coughing for like two months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's another thing, like... Now, I remember that being an ongoing problem with you when I had, you came to SRN. I had, a, like, a chronic, chronic cough, and I was mm. so, so sick, and I didn't have any health insurance, and um, I was, like, <laughs> I was, like, guzzling cough syrup in school. Like, I literally had a bottle of cough syrup and was, mm. like, <laughs> like, taking it throughout classes because my cough was so bad, and I had my ribs wrapped because it felt like I broke a rib. Like, I heard... Um, when I had really bad bronchitis for two months, um, I actually heard that's, well, like, it's stupid because so, like, (laughs) um, we got x-rays done and it never broke, but, like, I, like, during survival sex work, um, when I was with this one, um, I guess you could call them a client, when I was with this one client or this one person who I was exchanging sex work for, um, for a place to sleep, um, when he got on top of me, I, I heard my rib crack. Mm. Um, and then my rib was, like, really messed up for, like, another month, and I didn't have any health care, so I just wrapped it and, like, guzzled um, cough syrup and, like, took a bunch of ibuprofen, like, throughout the day. And I remember my teachers in school were like, if you do that, I'm going to call the principal. And I was like, do it. Like, I'm sick. I'm clearly in so much pain, and you mm-hmm. don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I was literally You're like daring someone. To yeah, help you. I was like, do it. I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. what are they gonna do to me? Suspend me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I won't have to come. Then I won't have to do all of this. I won't have to sit through classes in pain, coughing. Like, well, you would have gotten some medical attention. Somebody might have suggested maybe you should go to the ER. But then, but then that's a, that's a really real, like, scary thing for kids is that how do you afford it? Where do your bills go? I didn't have anyone who could catch the bills. Like, I didn't have any when, – when you fill out a form in an ER, they say who who is responsible for you, what is your medical information, what are your doctors. I, had, I was like, I know my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know who I – like, my age. I'm sick. 
do you care? And, and you know, they'll, they don't really care. And then, and, and that's another thing, like, if I went for medical help, would they call the foster care system and say, this kid doesn't have anyone looking after them? That is a real possibility. You know? mm-hmm. And foster care to me was worse than mm-hmm. everything that I was going through because then you don't have a choice. At least I had a choice in the things that I was doing. So because of the case that preceded all this with your family member, people at your school were aware of what was going on? They were slightly aware. Um, well, well, uh, actually, well, they were very aware up to the point that my sister w- was involved. Um, mm-hmm. She made sure they were really aware. My family member was not within, was not allowed to be within the school's grounds. They weren't supposed to um, pick me up. There was a, a plan set in place at the beginning by Child Protective Services. Um, the school was aware of certain things, but once my sister stopped being involved, it was all up to me. You know, I would get to class and they'd say, we're doing a test, and I would be like, this doesn't even matter. Yeah, that, I mean, the thing I want to reiterate is the fact that um, things were happening in your home, Child Protective Services got involved, it didn't end up the way that you anticipated, and the consequence of that is that you are now alone and homeless. Mm-hmm. Right, so so basically I was chasing Child Protective Services saying, what happened to my case, what happened to my case, nobody let me know. And finally they were like, oh, it's dropped, no charges were made, like nothing is happening. So mm-hmm. you could either go back to your family or you could stay with your sister. And so uh, because nobody had my rights, um, and I wasn't emancipated. So my family members said that my sister deserved to deal with me and that that was the only person I could stay with as payback for her bringing about this case with me. Mm. And so they said if I went to anyone else, that's why I was so worried about anyone else getting the homeless, uh, harboring homeless, or uh, harboring runaway charges was because um, they threatened that anyone else would be charged with that if they found out that I was with anyone else. I'm sitting here like, um, I mean, what I just said, it was definitely blaming Child Protective Services. So I, I, I wanted to ask should... you. Yeah. They have they have so many cases. And, and back when I was a kid, um, when this was happening, I blamed Child Protective Services. But they're understaffed and they're overworked. And the laws are not made to help kids. You know, I'm a social work major myself. I mean, we were taught if it's not immediately harming the kids, if it's not putting them in immediate danger, if they could live with it, keep it, because we can't put one more in the system or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. That was one of my biggest fears was being put in the system because mm-hmm. I heard it was worse than being homeless. Being mm. in the foster care system. Right, being yeah. in the That's foster terrifying. care system. I was terrified. My personal choice was that I was going to figure things out without foster care. I thought mm-hmm. it was less scary, um, you know, sleeping outside. sleeping. I slept in cars, you know, you could catch charges like that too, but that was... That whole traumatic experience was less traumatic than I thought foster care would be. So your school knows what's going on and your social worker says to you, I want to refer you to starting right now. Did you, were you like, yes, put me in this program? Or were you like, no way? So previously, what brought this about, what brought me going to my social worker about was that I had called colleges ahead of time and I was like, how do I go to college if I don't have any taxes? Mm Mm-hmm. And my sister, my sister wasn't, I mean, I wasn't on her stuff either because Mm -hmm. I wasn't her dependent um, technically. So, you know, if you don't have any taxes, how do you go to college? I called a college and they said, if you don't have taxes, you can't go. Sorry, we can't help you. You know, they didn't tell me any of the legal stuff that goes along with that or how Mm -hmm. to get around that. They just told me you can't go. When I went and talked to the social worker at school, she said that this program, who she didn't name, would help me get into college. And that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to go. 
I mean, how discouraging to yeah, hear that. Yeah, it sucks. I want to go to college. I want to do this, but I'm being told, unless I have these resources, I cannot go. And the thing I is- I don't even have the option to try to go. It's yeah, just not there. you don't even have the option. And IB, you get all this college credit, and that was what they kept telling me. Um, I, you know, I was thinking, if I have to suffer and do this and graduate, if I graduate, I might as well go to college because it, it's just college credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the college goes and tells me that I can't go if I don't have taxes to report. Like, how do you, how do you go from there? Do you do Who next, do you contact? Right. And so your social worker said, okay, there's this program that can help you get into college. Right. And you have your interview. What was your interview like? Oh, I, I just remember crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's really important to note because lots of kids are like, I don't really remember what I said in the interview or what happened. I just let it all out. I remember being super defensive and crying, which is like my go-to. <laughs> um, you know, I always explain to people being homeless is like being a stray dog. Mm. You know, you think everyone's out to get you. And the easiest thing to do is back into the corner and just bite everyone. You know? That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. And so do you remember your first day in starting right now? I remember wearing a really big jacket <laughs> because I was really defensive and it was like my safety net. And I remember, I don't remember if I was really nice or really mean. <laughs> do you want to talk about it? I can remind you. <laughs> go oh, ahead. I thought go. I was letting you continue. No, you can go ahead. That- um, that's funny you don't remember because it's probably one of my... I prob- I was stuck in survival ma- mode like for years. Well, like, and it's like it's all blacked out at this point. <laughs> and there's so much changing happening. It's yeah. like Instantly. how do you keep track of all of it? The, I yeah. mean, the change usually a student gets a response within 48 hours of whether or not they're in the program or not, and then it's like you're accepted. We're going to sign your contract and you're going to move in. Right. Pick up your stuff, which hours. has been everywhere, and uh-huh. then we're going to move it to this mystery place. And I had this big decision to make by myself with no one helping me, right. I, and I was scared. And rightfully so. Most most of those years of being homeless was spent very scared, and whenever I got scared, I just got mean because being mean was easier than being scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and. I would imagine it feels safer. It's because, safer. It is mm-hmm, safer because people mm-hmm. are, people don't want to talk to you. So why do you, you know you? Because want... no one will ask you questions then. <laughs> right. They'll keep away. And yeah. you seem tough and not vulnerable when mm-hmm. in fact right. you are vulnerable given the circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are like, wow, she's just so mean. Like you know, she just doesn't want to hang out with us. Where inside, I was really like, I wish someone would would accept me and love me and take me in. Like. <laughs> of course. Well, thank God Vicky didn't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Dominic had a very different impression. <laughs> but I mean, also, well, thank God you didn't listen to you. Yes. Uh, I mean, I was very new to starting right now. And every other student I had encountered was like, please, Dominic, love me. I want you to instantly love me. And Olivia, and it's so funny you don't remember this, because we used to talk about it all the time later. Um, I go up to students and break the rule always, and I embrace them. And I'm like, I'm so happy for you to be here. Oh, the hug? Oh, yes. I remember that. And she throws <laughs> her hands up, and she's like, do not hug me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, we can high five. And she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Personal space issues? I mean, that's like, that's a red flag right there. Like, you know, if kids don't want to be hugged or touched or within, I had like a five- foot radius of personal space issues. Like, I did not want anyone near me because it was scary. I mean, I feel like you in particular <laughs> taught me a lot, even though sometimes I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, because I I never encountered somebody who didn't want to hug before. What was that? Um, and so I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe she's just a little frustrated or a little frazzled right now. She's nervous. Um, and then we go to your friend's house. We get your stuff. And we're having what feels like a good conversation. 
Um, I'm like a chronic oversharer, so. <laughs> yes, you did overshare. <laughs> well, she ends up sharing that um, everyone in her life tells her that she should be a lawyer. I must have asked some generic question about what do you want to do next. Yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, everyone in my life always says I should be a lawyer because I'm so good at manipulating people. Yeah, I did and say I that. Like, I remember that. What? <laughs> she was like, yeah, I'm the best at manipulating people. I can get anyone to do anything I want. And I was like, wow. As I'm driving the car. Okay. And so I bring her into Haven Poe and I wave goodbye. I'm not allowed to hug her. So I say, okay, see you later. And I drive 45 minutes back up the road at 100 miles per hour <laughs> to tell Miss Vicky that this girl needs to get kicked out of the program instantly because she's not kind. She's mean. She's a master manipulator. How can we have this deceptive liar? I don't even know if she is. She is I don't know. She's here. But Miss Vicky says to me, hey, you know what, Dom? And I don't know the student's stories at this point. I just, I'm, yeah. I'm told to go pick up this new student that we're going to enroll in a program. And up until this moment, like I said, my experiences were much different. And Ms. Vicky says, hey, you know what? I think we should give her a chance. She's been through a lot in her life. I'll talk to her, but I think you should give her a chance. And it took us probably quite a few months before we gave each other that yeah. second chance. Because I was like, you can't give a manipulator another chance. <laughs> <laughs> she just is who she is, um, which wasn't true. You know, it's so funny because a lot of times like when kids go through sexual abuse, part of the whole exchange that occurs is to satisfy one person. Mm -hmm. So we, qu we quickly learn that, you know, if you want things to go well and you want the home to be happy and you want to get things that aren't negative, you know, you aren't beat you know, or whatever it may be, that you have to appease people. Manipulating goes with that. You mm -hmm. you learn a sense of manipulating because it's part of your survival mode, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I am a really chronic oversharer, but, like, um, you know. But I remember watching your walls. It was in Doe Carnegie class with the wonderful Jeff. Um, Jeff Scheimer. Yes, where... I was in that class with you. Yeah. And it wasn't your first defining moment. It was much later that you end up really sharing with everyone what had happened to you. And I remember my mouth being on the floor thinking, there's no way this kid who was just nasty. I just remember crying <laughs> have all the time. That. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of crying in general. It's yes. starting right now. Yeah. Good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Tears. <laughs> it's like therapeutic kind of. Yeah, therapeutic. Mm -hmm. um, but, but off that too, I also remember, I remember Miss Vicky sending a text to me laying down the law. And, mm -hmm. and like at that time I was really mad about it because I was like, oh my God, Dominique betrayed my trust. Who am I going to trust now? All these people, like I, they, they turned out to be exactly who I thought. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, I really appreciated it from Miss Vicky because in the past, because there was an, an exchange of, of you have something I have, you know, she, she by saying you are not going to manipulate Mm -hmm. in this situation, I was like, wow, like, there's not something that I could give that she wants. Mm -hmm. Like, she wants me to just be me. There's nothing that I need to calculate because that's not the relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when you were sitting here talking about, um, <laughs> she's saying, you know, in your first interaction, she's saying, I can manipulate everyone. I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, you haven't met my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yeah, no. <laughs> Good but, luck with that. Well, I was petrified. Yeah. I didn't want to be manipulated. <laughs> like, I'm just going to stay away from her. Miss <laughs> Vicky is the perfect person for this because she respects you, but she also doesn't take any of your crap, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and for me, my boundaries were always pushed, so I always pushed other people's boundaries. That was mm -hmm. just 
part of who I was. I was like, how far can I get? And seeing this like strong lady, you know, care about me, I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And then also not put up with my, you know, my crap. I was like, I kind of hated her, but I also was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like sit this out and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that is definitely something my mom, that is a strength of my mother, that is something I try <laughs> sure. to channel in my everyday life and I'm continually trying to approve. And this is certainly something we try to teach the students of the program is that it is good to set boundaries mm -hmm. and you are you are deserving and worthy of them right in the way that feels comfortable to you and boundaries were like a foreign concept to me i was like what is that the closest i had to boundaries was that five foot of personal space radius mm -hmm. like you know um so it was definitely it was definitely a learning curve and and finding someone who wasn't going to to let me push them but also who wouldn't push me was was nice did you have a a, a moment of clarity or a moment where you felt like this is where you knew your life was going to change and starting right now? No, I was going to drop out the first week because I hated all the rules. Um, mm -hmm. But <laughs> um, as time went on, I saw that people wouldn't ask of stuff from me. So people wouldn't ask for me to give them anything in return for wanting to help me. Mm -hmm. um, and that they cared about my well-being, whether it was my day-to-day day life or it was you know, my overall career and, like, life path in the future. Mm -hmm. um, what were the rules that you hated the first week? Honestly, I mean, like, I just hated rules in general. I mean, and that's one of the things that you have, like, like these kids, like, I, I can only speak for myself, but I went from having no rules at all. Mm -hmm. You know, the one rule that I had for myself was to get to, sc was to, get to school. Mm -hmm. That is what I, what I said. I didn't care how sick I was, what I'd been doing, if I was out late at night, who I was with. That was my only rule. So going from that and nobody nobody caring enough to check on you, nobody asked where you are, who you're with. Like, And then SRN, they're like, okay, well, you have a curfew and you have this and this and this if you want to participate and be in this house and be part of this family. And for me, family was always loaded. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, why should I do any of this for you? What are you doing for me? So like the rules were a big change because for, you know, almost a year and a half, it was like a year, year and a half where it was just me mm -hmm. policing myself, you know. So that's a huge change. I had a big issue with authority because it always brought bad things to me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to talk about um, creating your own little family in the house? Because you built really strong bonds with some of the people in the house. So me and my roommate, Kelsey, actually, we, you know, a lot of my relationships end, or start like this. Me and Kelsey were very rocky at the beginning, and then we worked through it, and she is my best, one of my best friends to this day. Um, and then, of course, with the, the SRN staff, um, these are people that stay invested in my life. What were you thinking when you entered this house and there's a bunch of other students who you don't know, but mm -hmm. they're there for a reason? I remember just being super defensive, and um, Dominique's going to like give me a look, uh, mentally <laughs> calculating what all of these people could do for me. You know, part of being in survival mode was that upon entering a room, I can assess, it, you know, so quickly. I can mm -hmm. assess the danger level. I can assess if it's a good place for me to be, if there's any person of value in there. Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely chilled out as I've gotten older. But, you know, when I got in the house, it was me mentally, you know, writing down, okay, this person is, is you know, nice. This person is not nice. This person seems like they could you know, help me with this or that, like, you know, it was all, it was all still very survival mode, and all mm -hmm. of these kids were so nice, but I was still, I was still just seeing them as pawns. Mm -hmm. 
In what ways were in what ways was the program different than what you expected? You know, I kind of thought it was going to be like foster care, but SRN they definitely like follow you as you're an adult and throughout college, and they make sure that you're healthy and you're safe. Um, you're healthy in all ways that you have a place to stay, that your college is you know taken care of, that you have people to talk to if you need any mm-hmm. advice or any help or anything. Um, so that's been really cool. You said that you had reached out to someone about getting into college. Um, and they dismissed you. Um, so how did you feel when Starting Right Now was there to offer you resources and guidance with the whole college experience? That was the main reason I signed um, with Starting Right Now was because of the college help. Um, you know, I had already faced a lot of the hardships that, that like, my, the things that I had to face, I, I feel like had plateaued by the time I got to SRN. Mm-hmm. So I, I could have, like I had a friend that I was finally staying with and, and things like that, but I didn't know how to go to college. And SRN was offering me not only college, but they were offering me, you know, support and healthcare and guidance and things like that. Um, but college really cemented it for me. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else? We should talk about where like... you're at right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So right now, um, I'm about to graduate from FSU with a double social work Shana. and. Um, and creative writing bachelor. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, and yeah, so I, I got to where I wanted to go, and mm-hmm. so it's really good. That's exceptional. And the thing that I love about all this, and I have said this before, but it's important, is that to me, all of this is just the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the thing that I love about starting right now is that. I hope this is the case, I think it is, is that really what we want our students to have is options mm-hmm. and choice and opportunity. So hopefully this is just the beginning of you um, having a wealth of options and choice and agency. Right. I don't think, while I think I would have been successful by myself, I don't think I would have been able to do the things that SRN has done for me mm-hmm. um, and provided the same opportunities and success. It, it would have been different, but this is, this is better. Mm-hmm. This is something that these kids would never have the opportunity to, to have at the level that we have it on. Thanks. That's good mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah. That's really good to hear. If there's a student out there who is homeless and or alone, what would you want to say to them? I would tell a student who was looking into joining SRN that not everyone is out to get them <laughs> and that some people genuinely want to help you mm-hmm. and see you succeed. I would have them ask themselves, if they're actually okay, like if they're happy. What a beautiful question. Yeah. Can I ask you something? Sure. Are you finally happy or on your journey to happiness? I am. Do you really think so? Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But you are better today. Don't just say that if you don't mean it. You can be honest. I'm not as sad. I'm not like perpetually sad. Mm Mm-hmm. And Olivia, I mean, something I think you should, this is me totally, not that you should do this, but I mean, I would feel proud if I were you because you are actively trying to figure out a ways, ways to make yourself whole. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least for the last two years, you've been like, I need help finding resources to deal with X or to deal with whatever went on here. And so you are, in my opinion, on your journey. I think you. To your happiness. Yeah. I think as an adult, you reach a level where you have to accept responsibility for, your circumstances and who you are as a person. You can't always say, 
well, this bad thing happened to me because something bad happens to everyone and you have to you have to uphold a level of responsibility and and understand that only you are going to fix who you are and you're the only person responsible for your, for your happiness. So I can't blame it on everything else. I can't blame it on the deck of cards that I was dealt when I was a child. You took back control of your life. Yeah. Finally, back in control. And I do think... Um... You sitting here telling your story so clearly and strongly is a step in the right, mm-hmm. is a step towards that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's definitely healthy and therapeutic. Because the thing is, is that um, we understand it and That's we're okay good. with it. Yeah. I'm glad you guys understand. If you are a high school student in Tampa Bay and do not have a stable home or you know someone in this situation, please contact your social worker about starting right now. This podcast is brought to you by Humana Foundation, Hillsborough Education Foundation, and WEDU. If you are listening and want to donate a service or funding, please contact info at startingrightnow.org. Thank you.